The Inkamib fire triples in size. The weather conditions have been very volatile and it's causing very fast changes in the fire behavior. The fight to keep humans, homes and animals safe. Reaching the vaccine holdouts. People have to continue to be respectful as well, particularly if they're unvaccinated. How some countries are putting on the pressure and BC's stance as rates start to plateau. And Jim Benning's big gamble. We want to be active. We want to be aggressive. We want to try to make our team more competitive. The Canucks blockbuster trade that has everyone talking. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We begin tonight with breaking news in Wally, where smoke continues to drift high above the neighborhood. Firefighters battling a raging fire in the 10600 block of 132A Street. It started around 3.30 this afternoon when RCMP say they responded to a disturbance and a house fire. That fire spread, burning the roof of at least one house next door. Police evacuated two homes and say downed power lines continue to pose a risk in the neighborhood. Roads all around the area are currently closed to traffic and the public is advised to stay away. All right, now to the wildfire situation in the South Okanagan as the Incomeep Creek fire continues to threaten homes. Today, conditions finally allowed crews to update their survey of the blaze, and they have confirmed it has now tripled in size to more than 68 square kilometers. Paul Johnson is live in Oliver tonight. Paul, it's not just people that needed to be evacuated from the path of the fire. Yeah, that's right, Sophie. You know, the fire's burning in an area that's kind of semi-rural in a lot of places. And in places like that, people often have animals beyond your standard dog and cats. So what do you do if you're facing an evacuation order and you have animals like that? Luckily, there's some people in Asoyas who've been willing to step up and help out. It's snack time at the old Desert Park racetrack in Asoyas. Racing ended here years ago, and they've carried on boarding and training horses until branching out big time Monday night. We started getting in pigs, chickens, uh, peacocks, uh, ducks, uh, sheep, goats. And that's just a partial list of the non-human evacuees brought here since Monday when the Incomeep fire first flared up. Most appear to come from hobby farm type situations where their owners wanted to take the precaution of moving the animals to safety well in advance of the fire. Alana Bileski is one of them. We did place most of the animals, get the hard work done, and then if we did have to leave, then it would be, we would have to go. We got quarter horses, we got uh, uh, Arabians, we got paints, we got all, all different varieties, but... Uh, all evacuees here? All evacuees, yeah. So Park Vice President Lee McLeod's been putting in long days, building new pens and fences, reconfigured for animals they don't typically keep here. Most of it's gone well, but some have been more challenging than others. I would say uh, the pigs. And it's likely more may be on their way, with the fire still growing and no meaningful break in the weather on the horizon. The current perimeter of the fire is measuring at 6,800 hectares. So we've seen significant growth on the 
northeast and south perimeters over the last couple days. Well, they've made do so far. McLeod says they could use any spare 4x4s or fencing anyone could donate, along with hay. We weren't really ready for the variety of animals that we did get, but as they were coming, we made sure that we were ready. We started, you know, getting pens built. Like so many, you see willing to pivot and help out in an emergency. McLeod says as long as they're needed, they'll be here. Yeah, as long as they, uh, they have to be here, that's no problem. It's great that we have people like that. So you see, they're doing pretty good there with the situation. One thing they told me they were worried about is they were getting word that they might have to take care of some ostriches. Uh, they don't know anything about ostriches or how to take care of them. Uh, that was a bit of a concern for them. Uh, just in case you were wondering, this lake behind us here in Oliver, this is where these helicopters have been loading up uh, to dump buckets on the north end of the fire. This has been going on all afternoon. One problem with the fire in the past few days is the winds have picked up around 4 o'clock in the afternoon every day, and that's blown up the fire in the evening. Um, winds have been pretty still this afternoon, so I think a lot of fingers crossed that the conditions stay this way. It's been pretty good for firefighting this afternoon. Sophie. All right, just a little glimmer of hope then. Thanks for that, Paul Johnson in Oliver. Now taking a look at some of the other major fires burning in B.C. right now. At the Brenda Creek Fire, sprinklers are in place to protect a transmission line that serves about 60,000 people. The six-square-kilometer fire is burning south of the Okanagan Connector, about 40 kilometers from West Kelowna. 43 properties in Electoral Area H are on evacuation order, while helicopters bucket water onto hot spots, ground crews are burning off fuel between the guard and the fire. And smoke from the Michaud Creek wildfire is keeping helicopters grounded. That makes the firefight there even more challenging. 356 properties in the Edgewood and Fauquier areas are on evacuation order. The two wildfires continue to threaten both towns. The Michaud Creek blaze, burning more than 20 kilometers south of Edgewood, is now about 4,600 hectares. The Octopus Creek fire is burning 11 kilometers south of Fauquier and is said to be more than 4,200 hectares. 21 one firefighters, two helicopters, and three pieces of heavy equipment are working on that fire. Now turning to Sycamuse, where the two-mile road fire grew overnight. That one has already forced more than 1,000 people from their homes. Darian Matassafung has more. And now the fire grew really, really quickly from... 10 uh, hectares to now over a thousand hectares so it's still a major concern for us. The fire is estimated to have grown overnight by over 200 hectares with steady winds blowing to the south away from Sycamuse. We've evacuated over a thousand people from that area in the southern uh, eastern part of the community and so that's the situation with the fire right now still very much of a concern. Evacuees are asked to sign in at an emergency centre in town. Global News talked to a few evacuated residents on Friday about how they're faring away from their home. Tonight's our last night for the room. There is no motels, there is no shelter for the people who have been evacuated. How does that make you feel? I'm mad. I want our mayor to say sorry. Albertans go home, cancel your reservations and let people who need a home have somewhere to go. When asked where she's going to go after tonight, evacuee Judy Smith says, I don't know. Sleep in our car. We got nowhere to go.
Although the two-mile road wildfire grew last night by 200 hectares, the Sycamus Fire Department said it had a relatively quiet night. Our crews had a fairly quiet night last night. Um, they're working uh, a lot of the highway, uh, still a lot of risks with uh, uh, spot fires popping up along there. Um, the guards are holding quite nicely uh, above the area of uh, um, Two Mile Creek and uh, the Two Mile Road area. Um, we're quite pleased with what's going on there. The fire chief was able to get a bird's eye view of the fire on Friday in a plane. Um, but up, up above where it's not quite so visible from the road, uh, there is quite an active fire burning up there still. Uh, they are challenged by the terrain. It's very steep and uh, they're hoping to try and contain it at Two Mile Creek. The fire department and the mayor wants to remind everyone to stay off the north side of Mara Lake so as to not interfere with firefighting aircrafts. Darian Matasafung, Global News, Sycamuse. The Three Valley Lake Chateau is an iconic and historic hotel and tourist attraction on the Trans-Canada Highway west of Revelstoke, but a wildfire has forced it to be evacuated, and owners are on pins and needles hoping that fire doesn't come any closer. Yes, yes, it's scary. Um, you know, there, there's a lot here to, to lose. The chateau and the adjacent heritage ghost town that allows visitors to step back in time have been around for decades. But on Tuesday, the local regional district put it and other properties in the area under evacuation order due to the out-of-control Three Valley Lake fire. BC Wildfire Service is monitoring the 60-hectare blaze but is not actively fighting it right now. Structural protection teams have been on site putting in measures to give the property a fighting chance should the fire grow an inch closer. The thing I really want to emphasize is how grateful we are that they came in to help save the ghost town because the ghost town has so much history. Um, it's, it's buildings and artifacts that, that my family has collected for decades. And it's part of BC's history that we're not going to get back. And so to lose that would be a loss, not just for our family, but, but really for history. The fire is burning close to the CP Rail mainline, and the company has a helicopter responding. The cause of the fire is still under investigation. All right, senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on the forecast for the next couple of days and how that will impact the firefight in the interior. Christy? Thanks, Sophie. So we talked about Paul Johnson earlier. He said the winds weren't too bad today, and that will be the case overnight tonight. But tomorrow afternoon, we're expecting the gusts to pick up once again. One of the reasons for that is the temperature. Here's a quick look at the daytime highs for tomorrow, all the way from the Thompson region through the Okanagan Valley. We're talking about low 30s in that region. We may even see that into the Kootenai region, although the Kootenai region is really socked in with uh, cloud cover or smoke, I should say. And so that will drop the temperatures a little bit. But look at the rainfall over the next 24 hours. It's all north of Williams Lake, continuing to be dry across the south. And as I mentioned, with those gusts and heat again tomorrow, that certainly is cause for concern. All right, Christy, we'll touch base with you again a little bit later. Well, the race to get COVID vaccines into the arms of British Columbians continues. But as the percentage of fully vaccinated people gets higher, it becomes harder to reach the holdouts. Richard Zussman now on the province's plan for those who don't get the shot. In France, to visit a cafe or work in a hospital, you must be vaccinated. The question now is whether these sort of vaccine mandates will be coming to BC. We're not going to deny access to services, 
based on your vaccination. But uh, there will be requirements in certain uh, things if people aren't vaccinated. Vaccination rates are higher in British Columbia than most places. But the rolling COVID case average is now 73 new cases a day, up from 42 just a week ago. And it's those not getting the shot getting sick. If you take all the cases from June 15th to July 15th, 78% of those cases are in people who are unvaccinated. There are some that are partially vaccinated, meaning just 4% of new cases are in those fully vaccinated. 87% of those 15 and older have received at least one dose of a COVID vaccine, 75% fully immunized. 79% of those in their 40s have received one dose, 75% of those in their 30s, 76% for those 18 to 29, and 66% of those 12 to 17. The challenge now is figuring out how to get to the unvaccinated. Find out where they're gathering and go there, and then that's where you can you know, give them the um, information that they need and then get them that first dose of vaccine that's so important. The new COVID-19 cases are not just linked to those who are not fully vaccinated. They are also linked to those going to indoor social gatherings. And the province is asking those who host those gatherings to ask this question. If you had... Um, uh, someone over to your house for dinner next week. I, I think it's reasonable for you to ask them if they've been vaccinated and, uh, and to not have them come if they're not. The province also has a few goals, hitting 80% immunization among those 12 to 17 by the end of the summer and 85% when it comes to one dose overall by the end of August. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. We've had another uptick in new COVID cases in the last 24 hours. Let's take a look at the numbers. We have 112 new infections in the last day. That's up from 89 yesterday. 603 cases are currently active. 46 patients are in hospital with 17 in intensive care. And sadly, there have been four new deaths. 80.3% of people aged 12 and older have now received their first dose of vaccine and 58.1% have now received two doses. So what is behind the increase in the new case numbers? Uh, hearing some concern from some people the last couple of days, Keith, uh, what's behind yeah. all this? Yeah, I think some people are probably a little freaked out, 112 cases overnight, the most since uh, mid-June. Uh, what's driving this basically is where we have lower vaccination numbers. So in Metro Vancouver, the case numbers are dropping daily to single digits as our vaccines go up, really high levels there, but not the same case in the interior. Here's how it breaks down as I reported last night. Again, the trend continues. The interior now with 73% vaccination rate, quite low compared to the rest of uh, much of BC, 46% of the cases, though, in the last four days since the uptick began. Fraser Health, 81% and 30% of the cases, their numbers are going down. And Vancouver Coastal is really dropping. 85% vaccination and climbing 18% of the cases since the uptick began four days ago. The interior, of course, homes are a number of towns with very low vaccination rates, including Creston, Williams Lake, Armstrong, Nelson, and 100 Mile House, all in the 60 percentile range. These, number, these percentages really haven't changed much for, for well more than a month now. And I can also 
also tell you the report just landed for the Center for Disease Control. Uh, the Delta variant is now 74% of the cases in the interior health, far more than anywhere else in the province. It's more transmissible. You combine that more transmissible variant with lower vaccination numbers, the numbers of people getting infected in the interior are likely to climb significantly in the days ahead. We're going to be keeping an eye on those numbers, but brace yourself, I think, in the interior for seeing ever higher numbers with that much more transmissible Delta variant now becoming the dominant virus in the interior. Mm. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Mask rage strikes again. A White Rock hair salon targeted for its face covering policy. That's next on the news. There's some guys saying fire, fire, fire. Fire at a downtown apartment building. What witnesses saw and the frantic effort to save the resident later. Plus, the return of live music. Bands ready to hit the stage again and how a Victoria company is helping them do it. That's still to come. Right now, the owners of a White Rock hair salon were shocked this week to find anti-mask graffiti sprayed on their windows. The province has relaxed mask requirements indoors, but the owners of DC Crew Hair Company had decided to keep their mask mandate in place, leading someone to target them with a pointed message. Imadagahi reports. When it comes to COVID safety in the workplace, these women cannot afford to cut any corners. We just wanted all of our clients to know that everyone in here was safe to be in here. Probably keep wearing the mask right till September. And because it's simply impossible to physically distance in a small and busy hair salon, staff at White Rock's DC crew made a collective decision to keep their masks on, even after the provincial mandate was lifted. Now it seems someone is unhappy with that policy just shocked and just every everyone we tell it's shock this is just such odd words to use the rcmp was quick to respond and remove the hateful graffiti the police officer was amazing he worked on it with his with his own credit card he <laughs> scraped it off the words are gone now but frustration remains with the position owners of the salon say they are placed in when they decided to say it was just recommended for masks we actually got no direction we didn't know whether, do we take the barriers down now between stations? Do we have to um, still take temperatures? Do, you know, all the little things that we've been doing, what exactly is just a recommendation now? And they're not alone. This Bosley's pet store in New Westminster wants its customers to wear a mask as well. Then this happened. On Saturday, the woman came in, the store was busy, and she literally pushed past the staff, went down the cat aisle, grabbed a $100 bag of food, and walked out with it because the staff refused to serve her for not wearing a mask. I just want what's best for my team. They're between the ages of 17 and 21. They don't all have their full vaccines. Disputes over individual mask policies, an issue that we lived through phasing into the pandemic, appears to be one that will not easily fade away, much like the virus itself. Amadagahi, Global News. More than 80 major anchor attractions and tour bus operators in B.C. are getting cash from the province to help with COVID recovery. The pandemic support was first announced back in May and will provide grants of up to $1 million for businesses and nonprofits. Butch Art Gardens, the PNE, Science World and the Richmond Night Market are among the 23 urban recipients. 34 rural anchor attractions and 26 tour bus companies also received funding for restart costs. It has been very tough and difficult for not just our business, but 
you know, any tourism-related business. And, you know, now, today, is our reopening. We will have more news to come around festivals, fairs and events. Our government is going to continue investing uh, in, the, in the businesses that have had to hold the line, uh, not being able to have fun across this province because we've had to follow the public health orders. Coming up, busting a bike theft operation. Road bikes, mountain bikes, e-bikes. What VPD discovered in an East Van storage unit. And later, two weeks lost in the woods. How a missing hiker was finally found alive. Today marks five years since the murder of Michael Sandu, and the homicide investigation team is asking for anyone with tips about the killing to reach out to them. On July 23, 2016, 28-year-old Sandu was shot while inside a parked car outside a home in Surrey. Another man was also injured in the shooting but survived. Police have said Sandu's shooting is linked to the gang conflict, but that he and the other victim may not have been the intended targets. IHIT is asking anyone with information about the shooting to contact them. A dramatic scene unfolded in downtown Vancouver this afternoon as flames tore through an apartment suite at the Anchor Point building on Hornby. Nitu Garcha has more on the tragic end as the resident inside tried to escape. As these flames burned through a seventh floor apartment, dozens of residents of the downtown Vancouver building were rushing to get outside. I heard a guy saying, help me, help me. And I thought, somebody's being attacked. And then there was just a bunch of yelling. Finally, a woman's voice came out clear and said, fire. Yeah, I mean, the fire alarm was going off. There was no smoke I could tell on my floor or in the stairwell. About 60 firefighters responding to the second alarm fire around noon to find a paramedic already on the scene performing CPR on a man. I knew it was a really bad situation because he had burns on him. And, you know... It's what we call agonal breathing, which is kind of like your last breath sort of thing. But Gord Mafato wasn't one of the first responders called to the scene. He's a resident of the building who works as a paramedic and was getting ready for his shift when he realized there was a fire in his neighbor's unit. I tried knocking on the door and kicking it in because I had a fire extinguisher uh, in my unit. I heard glass smash and then so I went back out. I went kind of into the back courtyard and I saw the gentleman that was in the unit. Despite his life-saving efforts, the man died. The Vancouver Police Department says the cause of the fire is still under investigation, but it's believed to be accidental and that the man had jumped to try to escape the flames. You know, it sucks that, you know, a life was lost. Now as he, like others, forced out of the building on Hornby and Drake Streets, wait to go back and see if their units have water or smoke damage, Gord Mafato is also trying to process the tragic sudden death of his neighbor, a man who he says he never even got to know. I was just trying to, being a human, helping a human, right? And that's why I'm a paramedic, I like helping people, so. Uh, it was kind of instinctual once I saw what kind of happened, but... Neetu Garcha, Global News, Vancouver. Well, they have been one of the most sought-after items during the pandemic, and now Vancouver police have busted a stolen bike ring. Officers raided several storage lockers at a self-storage facility on East Pender Street. They recovered 27 stolen bikes worth about $45,000, including high-end road bikes, e-bikes and mountain bikes, as well as a major stash of bike parts. So far, no one has been arrested. 
bicycles are in very high demand right now. Used bicycles are in very high demand. A lot of that has to do to uh, COVID. So if you put a bike online on Craigslist for sale or uh, on Facebook for sale, it's going to go very quickly and it's probably you're probably going to get a significant amount of money for it. Um, as a result of that, we're seeing a lot of bikes that are being stolen and uh, resold through um, essentially organized crime operations. Police are now working to identify the rightful owners of those bikes and return them. A little girl who loves dogs has a frightening encounter with one. Shock set in and then it was just like a rush to get her to the hospital. The shocking attack and her long road to recovery. Also ahead, paving the way for a potential second vaccine option for kids. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. On Global News Hour at 6. Crews have contained two house fires in Surrey. This is on 132A Street near 105A Avenue. They were blocking surrounding roads but have since reopened them so traffic can get through except for the local traffic in the area here. From home to car insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. In Global One, I'm Tim Bain. A warning to pet owners who use the popular trails in Surrey's Tynehead Regional Park. Several times over the past few weeks, meat has been found along the trails. So far, there's been no evidence of tampering or any reports of animals becoming ill, but dog walkers are being warned to keep a close eye on their animals and what they may be finding and eating. A BC baby will be spending her first birthday in hospital after she was the victim of a vicious dog attack in the West Kootenay earlier this month. Ted Chernecki has more on what happened and a warning. Some of the details and images in this story are disturbing. And just pushing. It was the worst nightmare of my life. Her one-year-old daughter was born into a family with three dogs. Little Rosie Mae loved her dogs and they loved and protected her. But on a Thursday, when the family was having their weekly picnic at a beach in the cusp, a stranger's dog attacked the child. My um, sister was holding Rosie Mae and seeing the puppies coming, and she had asked to see if she could talk to the two little puppies. And there was a third dog. And when my, do- or, or my sister went over to talk to the little puppies, the other dog lunged, ripping my granddaughter's face almost right off. I grabbed her right away. And her, her right cheek was just hanging. Just hanging. It was nearly severed off. Just hanging by the littlest thread. The baby was bleeding profusely. They rushed her to hospital, first in a cusp, then the long road to Kelowna General. For the 24-year-old mother, it was her first ride in an ambulance. And unfortunately, I was by myself when it come to terms with it. So... Me, myself, I have asthma, so I had an asthma attack and a panic attack. And just, oh, it was the worst thing of my life. It's only in the last few days that Rosie Mays started to feel her young self, having had reconstructive surgery and a blood transfusion. The family is waiting to see if she might still be transferred to Children's Hospital in Vancouver. Meanwhile, the owner of the Nova Scotia duck taller that attacked Rosie May is refusing to have his dog put down. I don't think that the owner should have the okay to even say that it can't be put down because it could have been her throat, it could have been 
death instantly. This will probably be a long recovery for both mom and daughter. A GoFundMe page has been set up for the public to help. Ted Chernecki, Global News. A B.C. hiker missing for almost two weeks has been found alive near Squamish. A massive search was launched for Daniel Ring earlier this month when he was reported overdue in Garibaldi Provincial Park. The 33-year-old was dropped off at the Elfin Lakes Trailhead July 7th but failed to return to his pickup site two days later. Ring was prepared and RCMP say he was found safe Thursday in Garibaldi Park as coastal fire crews were responding to a report of a fire. Ring has since been reunited with his family. We hadn't lost hope, but after 14 days, you start to wonder if you're looking in the right places. Are we looking for someone who is still moving or are they unconscious? What did you do for 14 days? Uh, What did you eat? How are you hydrating? Uh, Where did you stay? Yeah, definitely those are the two questions I want to ask. Ring was found on Pitt River north of Pitt Lake. Searchers say he had a water source, which is crucial for survival for at least part of the time he was missing. In Health Matters tonight, Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine could potentially be used more widely. The European Union's drug regulator is recommending the shot be approved for kids aged 12 to 17. A study of more than 3,700 children in that age group produced an antibody response comparable to that of adults. Moderna has also asked Health Canada to extend the use of its vaccine. Currently, Pfizer is the only shot approved for 12 to 17-year-olds in this country. Up next, getting the band back together in real life. People are very excited. The return of live shows and how one company is helping artists hit the stage. Plus, fired up. Vancouver's cauldron lit up to mark the official start of the Tokyo Games. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, the pandemic was a massive shock for BC's arts community. Overnight, live shows were done and a major stream of revenue evaporated. But now that restrictions are lifting, there are signs of life in BC's cabarets, pubs, and concert halls. Kylie Stanton has the story of a Victoria company helping artists get back on their feet. Remember when the sound of this would mean you could look forward to hearing this. Actual live music. It's been a while. We've done some smaller shows and we've done a bunch of live streams, but it's not that feeling that you have with the connection of a big crowd. So we're really excited that everything's starting to come back online right now. You know, the great Noah Becker, Ashy Way's got her her, uh, CD released this weekend. I understand it's sold out. But getting back on stage means promoting it. What used to come at a cost. The idea that bubbled to the surface was, are we able to to provide this as a community service? Metropole is now offering free postering for live events, a way of giving back to the artists that supported the business for the past two decades. People are very excited. I think right now we're running at about 40 different events. How many of those people would have called us and paid for postering? I mean, I would say 15% of those, uh, just given what, what the costs are right now. It's saving Neil James Cook Dallin of Righteous Rainbows of Togetherness a couple hundred dollars per show. And 
with several new releases to debut coming out of the pandemic, the savings are appreciated. I mean, no one's got anything left in the, the war chests anymore, right? We're all kind of starting from scratch, and it's just a nice way to kind of re-engage people with the culture and arts in town again. The struggle is still very real. Venues are operating at decreased capacity, while many are still uncomfortable attending large events. All of this will continue to hit the artist's bottom line, and every penny counts. I would say that I think the money is ending up in the right place. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Looking forward to getting back to see concerts in real life. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon once again uh, with a look at our forecast as we head into the weekend. Christy? So, so typically as we head into a weekend, I'd be pretty excited for southern BC or anywhere across BC when we've got sunshine in the forecast. But really for the interior regions, that's not what we need. When we look at the map uh, where we show all the fires, you can really see the concentration of the fires is through the Kamloops and the southeastern section. And that really coincides with the fire danger rating, which is extremely high across those southern areas as well. And as we talked about, tomorrow afternoon it's going to get hot and we're expecting rainfall, but just across the northern half of the province. You can see a lot of zeros across the south and really when I look in the long range as well that's continuing to be the case and it has been for more than a month now. Now the fire weather index is a product that's put out by a group at UBC and basically it takes into account how dry it is but it also looks at the forecast so this is for tomorrow afternoon considering the heat that's expected and the winds and you can see that we're talking about a fire weather index that's going to be high the highest level in fact from Asuyus up through the Okanagan Valley even into the Columbia and the Kootenai region. And what that means is that the current fires that are burning have the potential of burning with quite a high intensity because of the weather we're expecting tomorrow. Uh, winds are going to be generally out of the west, meaning the smoke will continue to shift off into Alberta. Lucky times for the south coast region, but it is going to be socked in once again in areas like the Kootenai region, which was very heavy with smoke today. Now, when we look at the forecast, you can see that sunshine and heat across southern BC. Uh, for the south coast region, it will be a pleasant weekend, so enjoy that. I I really am uh, excited for everyone across the South Coast. I just have a hard time being too excited when there is so much going on in the interior. So still no rain in the forecast. All right, tonight's Central Windows weather window is coming from uh, the Green Lake area. Warren Lowe sharing us with, oh, sorry, not worrying, it's Warren. But nonetheless, um, that's one of the uh, firefighter uh, helicopters over the lake there, sort of the last uh, uh, round, he said, as they were sort of shutting things down for the night. Great shot, Warren. <laughs> sorry about the name. All right. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Christy. Well, the Tokyo Olympics are finally underway after being delayed a year by the pandemic. Let's take a look at a live shot of Jackpool Plaza right now. The Vancouver 2010 cauldron is lit up again tonight because of the Tokyo Games, of course. The landmark, along with facility district markers, will glow red and white to mark the start of both the Olympics and the Paralympic Games, which get underway August 24th. Canada has sent about 370 athletes. That is the country's largest contingent since 1984. So, in a pandemic, they still compete. It looks nice all lit up, doesn't it? I like it lit up. I wish we could light it up way more than it mm -hmm. is. I know, honestly, I haven't had a chance yet to see Tokyo. I watched the opening ceremonies with no crowd. It was just sort of sad to watch it. It's like... This needs a crowd. I know why they don't have one, but it just didn't yeah. feel the same at all. Got to pipe in the, put yeah. in the cardboard cutouts. In the exactly. Stadium. Put in cardboard cutouts. Uh, okay.
So Jim Benning finally got Oliver Ekman Larson. He was chasing him last year, but in the last few years, Oliver Ekman Larson's plus minus stats have not been that good. I don't exactly know why his plus minus wasn't good the last couple years, but I expect it to be better with us going forward. Well, it better be better, or this trade could be an expensive disaster. We'll take a full look at the deal coming up. And later, Vampire's best friend in satellite debris. Well, this trade might be a good thing. Yes. Maybe. I'm just shift over here. Sorry, we, yes. We have a Connor, but more importantly. <laughs> we have a Connor. We now have a Connor, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as the Canucks are concerned, the future is now. In Jim Benning's case, it very much is. I would think one more playoff miss and Benning would probably be fired. So a lot of the motivation to make a huge trade today with Arizona, well, was Jim Benning making sure Jim Benning gets to stick around. Here is the trade. The Canucks get defenseman Oliver Ekman Larson, who they chased last year, and they get a Connor, Connor Garland, and they get rid of three mistakes and $12 million in salary. Louis, Beagle, and Roussel. But they had to give up the ninth overall pick in tonight's draft, which Arizona used on forward Dylan Gunther, and two more draft picks. And depending on what Garland signs for, because he needs a new contract, the money in this case might be a wash. Ekman Larson is making $7.2 million a year for six more years. It's a big gamble because Ekman Larson has not been playing like a $7 million defenseman in recent years. 35 seconds to go on the power play. Step on. Ekman Larson scores! Just a few years ago, Oliver Ekman Larson was considered one of the premier defensemen in the NHL. In 2016, he scored 21 goals and 55 points, and he's been over 40 points four other times. But the last two seasons have been lean. Point production, way down. Minus rating, way up. Jim Benning is counting heavily on Oliver Ekman Larson, who just turned 30, to regain his form in Vancouver. He was looking for a fresh start, and, you know, he's excited to be coming into a hockey market that, you know, the fans are are really excited and, you know, passionate about the team. He'll be a top-pairing guy, can play a lot of minutes, uh, you know, PP, PK, can be a matchup guy playing against the other team's top lines. He's going to be a good mentor for our young players. With Ekman Larson's cap hit at over $7 million for the next six seasons, simple math tells you the Canucks can't keep Nate Schmidt and his $6 million salary. The Canucks need that money to help sign Pedersen and Hughes to new deals and to bring in a physical defenseman in free agency. I'm going to continue to try to make the team better. And so, you know, his there's teams that seem like they're interested in him. And, you know, if... if that's what it takes to make the team better, then I'm going to look at that. By Gavaldi, goes cross ice, got a man open. Dragging, they score! Connor Garland! Canucks fans may not be that familiar with the other player in this deal, Connor Garland. He's a small forward, but big on grit, and he can score 47 goals in just 164 career games. That's a 20-plus goal scorer in a full season, and he's only 25. But the Canucks still have to sign him, and he'll likely be getting something in the $4 million range per season. He's a kid that, you know, competes hard on the puck, works, relentless worker, has good skill, um, you know, and his work ethic's going to rub off on all of our other guys. And, 
you know, to add a top six forward, I think is is going to make our team better. Be a small guy in the league, you have to be on the you know on the interior. It's hard to make it as you know a perimeter player when you're when you're five seven, five eight like myself. And um, you know, I grew up watching Marshawn and Gallagher and you know guys like that. So just like to stand in front of the net, that's where the goals are. You know, we didn't take lightly moving that ninth pick overall in the draft. Um, you know, that's that was that was a hard decision to make. But you know, we just looked at you know, everything that we could accomplish by doing it. And so, you know, we made the decision as a hockey ops group to go ahead and do it. Speaking of the draft, no surprise, Owen Power, number one, the Buffalo. Uh, Luke Hughes, Quinn's younger brother, gets to play with Quinn's other younger brother, Jack Hughes in New Jersey, and Port Moody's Kent Johnson with Columbus. Okay, Whitecaps will have two home games at BC Place next month with fans. August 21st against LAFC, whom they play tomorrow on the road. August 29th against Real Salt Lake. Not sure the exact number, but the maximum amount of fans allowed for those two games will be around 13,000 people. The Lions still have another week of training camp in Kamloops before they come back to Vancouver to get ready for the season opener. They'll have a lot of high-profile veterans, of course, on their team, like Michael Riley and Brian Burnham. They're the marquee guys, but... Since they haven't played since 2019, expect a lot of rookies to make this squad as well. The veteran guy a lot of the time has the inside track because he knows the game and he's got a bit of a resume and the coaches know who they are and all that stuff. So um, we really want to make sure we do give rookies an opportunity. I think it's going to be a good mix. I can't put a number on it other than to say there will definitely be some new guys that that are new to Lions fans and new to the CFL. And I think there's some guys that you know, can can make a name for themselves this year. Okay, I want to show you this. Uh, 3M championship from Minnesota. Roger Sloan of Merritt. Nine under par. Tied for third. He was tied for the leader is Adam Hadwin of Abbotsford. Or at least he's tied for the lead after 36 holes. Shot a six under 65. So BC boys all over the top of this leaderboard. Here's Hadwin again. This is on the sixth. Ten-foot bird. I think he thought he missed it. I think he did. So we'll see how they do on the weekend. And hopefully they do well. That's it. All right. Thanks, Squire. Satellite Debris is next. All right, Squire, satellite debris time. Okay, so I got two for you because we're a little short on time. The first one is um, coffee in a bag. You'll see what I mean. Coffee bags. Why didn't they think of this before? Here's an idea. We could just put the coffee in. Oh dear. I've got it! Why don't we put the coffee in the bag? I swear, Monty, there must be a better way. Why don't we just put the blasted coffee in the It's so simple, we just... We should just put the coffee in bags. What's this groundbreaking idea you've got? Hello? Hello? 
Taylor's coffee bags. Ground coffee in a bag. Why didn't we think of them before? Seriously, mind-blowing. It is, isn't it? I want it. What will they think of next? Uh, from Pedigree, uh, why you should always think about adopting a dog. Imagine Sunday once belonged to a vampire called Boris. Sunday. And Sandy was his loyal companion. The two of them were inseparable. Every night, all other dogs were fast asleep. <laughs> what shall we do tonight? Boris and Sandy played. <laughs> and had fun. Until one night, everything changed. Boris realized just how much Sandy missed other dogs. So eventually, he came to a decision. Please, Sandy. Please. Even though it broke his dark vampire heart, Take care of him. he knew that every dog deserves their time in the sun. Please. Why else would someone give up the greatest dog in the world? Lonely vampire. He'll find something else to do at night, I'm sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, on that note, a final word on the weather, Christy. Sure. So uh, hot and sunny across southern BC. Not good news for the interior, but I know it's really nice for those of us across mm -hmm. the south coast. We'll keep you updated on that wildfire situation on BC One and tonight on Global News at 11. Have a great night and a great weekend, everyone.